1: And welcome to episode fifteen of the Kennedy Mile Report with our sponsor, Bill for Time. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis, and I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Well, Tom, I know you're back from uh, meetings in St. Martin's. I've just been hanging around the house today, and uh, we're thinking about the legal pads uh, and the touch technology that's out that may be coming down the line soon, and whether those those two things will intersect at some point.
2: Yeah, that's right, Dennis. We've been kind of talking between ourselves about touch and technology. So we will tackle that topic uh, this episode, Uh, whether touch and technology is something that lawyers should care about. We'll talk about some things we've been discussing between ourselves. And as usual, we will end with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can begin to use as soon as the podcast is over. But on to our main topic, Dennis. Uh, we both read an article this week that got us thinking on the subject of touch technology, and I thought that the the article, which uh, I think was on TechCrunch, we'll post it in the show notes, uh, was um, uh, it talked about two things that that made me really want to think about touch technology, and, and that is the fact that we've got uh, Windows Seven, which comes out next week, and will be the subject of, a, of an upcoming Kennedy Mall report. Uh, has built in some capabilities for you to be able to use a touchscreen monitor or laptop or uh, any type of device that supports Windows 7. And uh, and so there, this, the first full operating system that's going to support that kind of touch capability and the rumors or the speculation is that uh, Windows is doing this to preempt the highly anticipated, we'll call it the Apple tablet or maybe the iPad uh, is what a a number of people are calling them uh, that Apple is going to come out with sort of a tablet that has a touch interface. And so we have to ask the question and we'll ask that in the next 10 or so minutes is now the time for touch for lawyers Dennis what do you think
1: well, Tom, I go back to, I was intrigued by the article, but I go back to a couple experiences I had in the last couple weeks of being at a conference and watching people take notes and taking notes myself in Microsoft OneNote, and then also being at a meeting uh, of, of lawyers where everybody pulled out legal pads and, and started to take notes. And it, it really made me think, uh, because probably the one thing when I that I've always predicted that would happen Happen in legal technology that absolutely hasn't happened yet is that the tablet PC would be become the computer of choice for for lawyers, and I just really have not seen that happen. Even though I used tablets PC for several years, um, but it, it seems like we're always going back to the legal pad. And but as you think about the touch capabilities. What people are doing with iPhones iPod touches and and just this this general uh, comfort people are starting to have and and what they like about the touch screens i 'm wondering if maybe. We're, we would start to see a little bit of a move away from paper um, to to actually using a computer to take notes and sort of to save a step so we, we would get the advantage of getting information right into to OneNote or case map or some other or, or even a Microsoft word in theory that uh, where you wouldn't have to put it into paper first and then scan it or have it typed in typed in later i mean do you think we're any closer to to, to lawyers? Actually using tablet or or are we still are we still in the paper world
2: um I think we're still in a paper world to a certain extent, but let me let's let's break it down a little bit further. Because when I think of you using your tablet, and we'll talk a little bit about why I don't use a tablet, when I think of you with a tablet, I'm not really thinking of touch. I'm thinking, although it does have a touch capability, I'm thinking more of you using a stylus to write with it. Um, And let's distinguish between the two touch capabilities. um, You know, the 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 new Windows version they'll allow you to just use your finger to flick through and scroll on your browser or scroll through a document. You'll be able to just use your finger to do that. Um, You'll be able to scroll through pictures or move pictures around on a a flat screen it, it, it's it's a completely different idea than the idea of the tablet, but it really does come down to um, to me. It comes down to whether or not lawyers are interested in using something other than a keyboard when they're working with their computer. You know, when the tablets first came out, I envisioned um, my boss. My boss, who at the law firm lived and died by the, by his legal pad, and I thought this would be perfect for him. He'll be able to take it. He'll go wherever he can. And, you know, he's a little, he's, he's of an older generation. He's he's never going to give up his paper. I personally didn't uh, take to tablets because, let's face it, my handwriting is atrocious. I hate to write. I can't write very well. I type about 80 to 90 words a minute, so I can always type much faster and much better. And, and that's why I prefer using uh, a, a regular, uh, regular keyboard when I'm typing. I will say, though, that after having an iPhone and looking at the iPod Touch, i'm i'm taken with the idea of touch technology and it's intriguing to me but i can't say that i personally as a lawyer am on the bandwagon to stop using paper there will still be meetings where i take out a pad and take paper notes now i know you've had a tablet for a long period of time in fact you wrote an article four years ago about your experiences where you were very positive how has that how have those experiences been and and kind of where do you stand today with tablets and the idea of touch
1: well, I gave up the tablet in part because I, I kind of wore it, wore it out and I started to use the keyboard a bit more than the actual, uh, stylus input. And I mean, you raise a good point, Tom, that there are two types of touch. There's sort of the, the, uh, stylus, re- where there's a stylus required, that type of touch. And then there's the, the, the finger touch, which is more common in the iPhones, iPod touch. And they think people are liking, um, what i i found a couple of things one was that when i had the the tablet pc it really changed my thinking about data input so that i realized that there are different Types of input that are better for different things. So sometimes I might want to type. Other times I might want to dictate. Other times I might want to actually write with a stylus. And and I found that really intriguing. Um, what ultimately happened and, and why I moved away f- from the tablet was when I wore out that computer or sort of outgrew it. Um, the hard drive on it was too small. There were there were some other things uh, about it, and there's a little bit of concern at the time of the commitment to the computer uh, manufacturers to the tablet platform um So I went to a regular, just back to a regular laptop. And I, and I got to say that I miss having the tablet, especially when I was at a conference and I wanted to take notes because I really like the program OneNote and I think it really makes sense on a, on a tablet PC. And then also, as I've, I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast, I really like this book by Dan Bricklin called Bricklin on Technology. And he has a whole chapter talking about Touch and tablets and that type of input and it and it just the tablet just really makes sense to me in a in a lot of different ways and I kind of regret that I've I've moved away from it and I suspect that when I go to the next my next computer will look really hard again at the tablet but I'll also say this other thing and this relates to our what we've learned about collaboration I think the real drawback for me on with the tablet was that. Uh, Nobody else used them. And so I couldn't use a program like OneNote because it wasn't a program that other people were using. It, you know, I didn't want to save things as PDF to send to somebody that I had written by hand in OneNote. So I couldn't really take advantage of the features because I wasn't working with, with other people who used it. I think that in the world of, of the iPhone apps and, and, and those sorts of things where you see the use of touch, I think you, you, You get more of a sense of platform, I think, where you might have several people using the same program where you can communicate. Um, and I think and collaborate. And I think that, uh, will be an important, probably, uh, you know, almost a hidden aspect of touch is, is how does it fit into your collaboration model?
2: You know, and I think that one of the interesting things that that I will want to see over the next few months is is what the impact some of these new technologies will have on lawyers. Uh, I think that one reason why lawyers and maybe the general population, you know, as a whole, uh, it did not has not adopted tablet computing as as much as we might have thought they would is I, I really don't think they've been marketed very well. When I go and talk to lawyers, I uh, I, I talk about tablets, and they either haven't heard of them or don't know. Much much about him, but I, I wonder if... With Windows 7 coming out, having these features built right into the operating system so that it is an, uh, something that's available depending on the type of computer that you have. And with Apple, with its with its monster marketing machine coming out possibly with a tablet that has touch capabilities, I wonder whether that might uh, increase exposure and, and increase awareness among lawyers. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see over the next six to eight months about uh, whether lawyers start adopting touch. What do you th- Let's close out, Dennis. Do you think that uh, that the tablet either has or will, in the future, have the potential to replace the legal pad in our lifetime? Well, I, that Apple uh, Touch
1: pad, tablet, whatever it's going to be that's, that's all the, the rage in the, in the world of rumors has enormous expectations. It's like it's a game changer. Um, that it's a combination ebook, notepad, all, all these things in that, that Apple is going to get the interface right and it's going to be something that everybody will want. Um, so the expectations are pretty enormous. Um, i I don't know because I, I I go back to this thing that I've always said that we're in an era for most lawyers where it's the i t department who makes decisions about technology rather than than the lawyers and so uh I think they want to keep for them it's really easy to and and there are law firms where they'd certainly love to just give lawyers desktop computers and be done with it um so I think to go sort of off the beaten path which was what a tablet would be is a little bit harder to do especially in a, a big firm setting but watching in a meeting where with the litigator watching him take notes and uh you know in this sort of initial interview with the client, it just struck me that having a a tablet and using OneNote case map a program like that to actually efficiently gather those notes and to turn it into useful information would just be tremendous rather than than to put things on, on paper. So, I suspect... I mean, I'm really intrigued. I mean, I've always felt that this is going to be the way that lawyers go because it matches the way that they work. I suspect that um, I'm going to be probably not quite right in how fast it gets adopted. But I, I think probably uh, if you go out 10... You know, five, ten years or so, um, we'll see more of a a tablet touch-based system um, because I think that once you, uh, I found on computers and on phones, like like you, Tom, I think that once you have this touch and you get used to using the touch commands, it's something that you grow to expect everywhere, and it's surprising when you don't yep, see it that's anymore. True.
2: It's true. No, I agree with that. Well, maybe we can revisit that at uh, Kennedy Mile Report, episode 100, uh, and see what happens then. Let's, uh, let's move on to our next segment. But before we do that, uh, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Bill for Time.
0: Bill for Time tracks, organizes, and invoices your billable time. Time is money, and this legal billing software helps you keep track of both. All you need is a computer and internet connection. Manage your billable time on your phone, too. Great personal customer support and tutorials quickly get you on your way. Go to BillForTime.com slash LegalTalkNetwork and get a 30-day free trial of any level of Bill for Time subscriptions. That's Bill, four as the number, time.com slash LegalTalkNetwork. One of the best ways to get to guess in a settlement for your client is with video. The broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network are experienced producers of compelling documentary-style video in a variety of legal cases. Call us for a free consult today at 781-551-9960. That's
2: 781-551-9960. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy,
1: and now it's time for our occasional segment, which we uh, have chosen the name of uh, things Dennis and Tom have been talking about. And uh, many of you may not know this, but actually October 17th to 24th is National Protect Your Identity Week. And so with some recent news about some release of passwords from... Hotmail and some other prominent sites, uh, and people taking a look at those, the passwords that have come out. We want to take a look at passwords and, and I, and Tom and I have been talking about the question of whether it's time to, to actually go through all the passwords that we use, especially on the internet, and, and change them all at this point. Um, so, Tom, I think we take two different approaches, as I recall, to, uh, to passwords where I've sort of used a system for, for years that where I have a way to generate strong passwords and, uh, strong passwords in, in involve letters, numbers, and symbols, uh, upper and lower case, ideally. Um, and I do that in a way that's easy for me to remember. So I use that system. And I think, Tom, I believe you still use this, but I know at different times you've used use a, a program that, uh, that generates passwords for you and stores them for you. Is that right?
2: That's true. But let me, before we talk about that, I want to kind of give a little background on why we're talking about National Protect Your Identity Week. If you haven't been following the news over the past couple of weeks, there have been stories of um, thousands and thousands of email passwords being compromised through the use of essentially a phishing email and some hacking that was done where... where where many passwords were compromised. And one of the things that I thought was interesting that they had taken, uh, one agency had taken a sampling of some of these email passwords to kind of run some analysis on the type of passwords. they took, I think, a sample of 10,000 passwords. And uh, what was interesting to me was that they found that of those 10,000, 64 had the exact same password. And any guesses on what that password was, Dennis? Well, I was
1: pleased to find that times have changed and it actually wasn't password anymore I so there has, there has been some advance but uh, the yes, winner but, but was
2: the winner was one two three four five six so uh it, there's been some advance from password but we're not making very very big steps uh, you're right dennis i i like to have strong passwords with letters symbols numbers capital lowercase letters uh, also but i don't necessarily want to have to remember uh, what my passwords are, and that's really the hard thing. To make them strong, they have to be something that you can remember, and I think there's there's one way to, to do it so you can remember them, and I suspect you'll talk about that in a second. The way that I use, uh, is I have used a program in the past called RoboForm. RoboForm uh, is, sits in a little toolbar in my browser so that whenever I come to a website, a little box pops up and uh, offers to fill in the password for that location. So I I can use RoboForm to generate a, a, as strong a password as I want. It's randomly generated and I can make it, you know, six characters all the way up to 20 characters to a very, very strong password. And it gets stored within an encrypted file on my computer. Now, uh, I like, I loved RoboForm for the longest time. I stopped using it probably six to eight months ago because I didn't have access to my passwords when I was on the road. And I found another program. Called LastPass, and I really like LastPass because it works on the same principle as RoboForm. You can generate your, uh, you can generate very strong random passwords, but it keeps it in an online encrypted database that encrypts only on your computer. It doesn't encrypt on the uh, on the, the server side. It encrypts only for you, so that you can guarantee that the security of those passwords. So now I have access to my passwords wherever I happen to be, if I'm on the road with my laptop, if I'm back at home uh, on my desktop, I understand that one of the best programs is called KeePass, or K-E-E-P-A-S-S. We'll put links to all three of those in the show notes. Dennis, how do you generate a strong password and not forget about it? Well, I'm a big fan of the, what I call,
1: base plus suffix approach. Um, This is not to say that what I'm about to describe is exactly what I do, but the, the idea is this, that you come up with a phrase that's very memorable to you, and you just use the first letters of that phrase, add a number or two, and then add a suffix on that helps you uh, identify the site that you're using. And this is really great for internet passwords. So, what you do is just come up with a phrase that's, that's, uh, that you like or just something that you would remember easily. that be the first letters of those with uppercase and lowercase as, as you want to do using a system, um, then becomes the first part of your password. Then you might use a symbol, uh, you know, the asterisk, the, the exclamation point, whatever, a number. And then, say it's a New York Times site, you might use NYT, NT, something like that at the end. And then, uh, as you go to these different sites, then you'll either have used, you might use one base, f- you know, phrase fairly commonly for certain categories of sites, or you might come up with a, you know, an obvious phrase uh, for for each of each of the sites that you go to, and so then you're generating this this strong password uh, because it has all the elements, uh, but it's it's going to be something that you can remember fairly well. Now, what I, I think the these password compromises showed us though is. While passwords are really the fundamental building block of, of your security and protecting your identity, it's easy to get lazy about them. So, what can happen is that you end up using the same password for a lot of places, especially on the internet. Yeah. Um, and you can do, you know, you'll do a number of things like that. But mainly what you do is you'll never change them. Especially on sites that you never go to. That's Uh, true. And so that's what I think the danger that that this, these recent password compromise show. And the question that that we were talking about is, does it make sense? Because typically a lot of people at their, at their workplace or at their firm, May have a 30 day or a 90 day expiration on their password. So they have to change it every now and then. And you can't, you can't use the same thing over and over again. And so you get the protection through that change because it's in, in force. Now on, on the, uh, on your own personal stuff, then you don't have the same thing. And so what you, what the concern is, is that you may have be in a situation where you have the same password for Gmail, for Facebook, for Twitter, for all the things that you do. and Then, if somebody guesses at once, they can potentially compromise you in a whole bunch of different areas. Um, the drawback, of course, is that you have to identify all the places that you're using things, or maybe you just go to the key ones, but you have to go to each of those things and go into your settings and change the password, which I think is, is difficult. But I, I think that what's happened lately in the news, the number of these things and the extent of them, I think really makes it a Good time to say, hey, I might as well go back to a lot of the places that are important to me, um, where I would be worried about compromise, and go ahead and change the passwords. Uh, you know, probably this week.
2: You know, I'll only add to that before we move on. Is, is that I'll just come back and make a pitch for the software that I use because it makes it easy to do both of those things. I can, I can tell myself that every time I'm at a new site, I generate a different password. I just click a button on the software, and I have a new password. Then when I want to change that password, I have the complete database at my fingertips. I, if I forget where did I where did I where have I got passwords set up on the internet, I have a Full list within this particular database, and I can go back to it. And I make that change within the database, and not having to go to the website and worry about whether I've uh, stored something there or not. I can I, I can then make that change there. I may then have to go to the to the website uh, and 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 make that change. But it'll at least the database will remind me how to or, and where uh, I've got certain passwords stored uh, on certain sites. In the
1: reservation about those programs, though, f- of course course time is that if you forget the password to that program you're you're absolutely You 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 have
2: to remember one master password and if you can remember that then you're golden but uh but that is the that is the rub that's true all right now it's time for our parting shots that one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends dennis you're up
1: Well, I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast, um, do presentations. Maybe some of them even do podcasts, but are, I think one of the best things you can do in technology or otherwise is to improve your presentation skills. And I think that means working with PowerPoint, working with audio and video, but just doing presentations in general. And something I found recently that I really like is Andrew Lugan's blog, which is called Six Minutes, is a blog on public speaking and presentation skills. And it has a lot of good information on a regular basis. But what I really like is that most weekends, he does a whole collection of tips, resources, links to other articles about presentations. And so the most recent one, there were, there were items, um, that he, he, Located for us on limiting the amount of information presented, how to use statistics, uh, when you're doing presentations, research about how bullet slides work and don't work, and, and some stuff on, on slide colors as well. And it, it's just a really handy place. I, I think it usually comes out on Sundays. So it's one of those things that if you're, if you're looking at blogs or web pages on, on a Sunday, um, it's just a great source of useful information on, on presentation skills.
2: Excellent tip. Uh, I have two parting shots, one very quick one. Uh, the first one is if you are a Google Docs power user. This past week, they enabled a new feature on Google Docs that allow you to share folders instead of just documents. So if you're sharing a n- large number of documents with someone or with a group of people, you can just share that folder so you don't have to set up each individual document uh, separately. And then also, there's the, the Google Docs now allows you to bulk upload documents, which I think is a nice feature. My, my, my real parting shot is to encourage everyone to go out and find a better task manager. Windows has um, a very competent task manager. It's functional, it's but it's basic for keeping an eye up eye on what your computer is up to, what the processes are that are on there, what type of memory is being used, that sort of thing. I use I've used one in the past called Starter uh, to see what uh, what my startup programs are and to manage them in a better way. Way than the Windows Task Manager, but I saw an article on Lifehacker last week to 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 vote on the best uh, task managers that are out there, and I was surprised to see that the ones I've used aren't on it. So I'm going to take a look at these five, decide whether there are new ones out there that can allow you to do things like uh, manage your startup applications, delay startup to improve your performance and your boot time. They can uh, check processes against an antivirus uh, database or a virus database. Uh, So there's some really interesting uh, choices here. We'll put it in the show notes. So take a look at these new task managing tools. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Links to the topics we discussed today, as well as how to follow us on our blogs or on Twitter, will be available on our show notes wiki, which is located at TKMReport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episodes, please email us at TKMReport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report only on the Legal Talk Network.